Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. We're super excited to be studying the scriptures with y'all. We move through um, the Come Follow Me curriculum. Right now we're in the second half of the New Testament. We're in 2 Corinthians 8 through 13. Who even knew that they would like 2 Corinthians 8 through anything? But you do. You find out. You know, as you, It really is a surprise. Grace was talking about earlier. But tell about the Easter egg. Because <laughs> you're just... The second half of the New Testament, first of all, I'll say this. I'm young, so I feel fine saying this. You don't really, it's like, really, you don't know a lot about it. Like, to right. be honest, it's yeah. not like, you know about Paul and then, like, maybe that's it. Yeah. Right? Right. And there's not a storyline with it necessarily. Yeah. So it's just kind of there. And I legit feel like when I'm reading it, I am on an Easter egg hunt. Like, I am like, oh, there's just like so many little one-liners and little, like, chunks that I'm like, I'm obsessed with this. Right. I love it. It's awesome. And it's great for a teacher because a teacher can take like just like a, a single concept and kind of go into it and explore it and have questions with it or or a, a chunk of them or something like and that. And it's so cute that you feel like you get to discover something. That right. It's just like, oh, yeah, I love that you this. never knew, right? Yeah. You're just like, did I do you like Second Corinthians chapter eight? Ten days ago I would have said, No, I don't. <laughs> and then now after like you look through it and you're just like who, why did anyone, why is no one preaching from 2 Corinthians chapter Yeah, eight and why did no one tell me? I'm like, who really, kept this from me? I know, really, really good. So we got some exciting stuff that we're coming in today. Um, we're calling it Abound in Everything. Uh, there's a verse that's coming up in chapter 8 that just is, a, is an invitation to, today is a kind of an invitation to live big, to live the mm-hmm. way of Jesus in a big way. And um, we're excited to, to jump in and look at everything. I haven't, we've had a lot of questions recently about, so we'll put a quote up on here or I'll talk about a song that's in the app. And so just to answer for everybody, um, the app is one of the coolest things that, that we have and provide and do. Um, it has all of these, anything that you have on here is on there. The YouTube videos on there, easy to find the podcast, the newsletters, everything's all in one spot. The greatest benefit to it, I think, is this, the daily section. There is a section where Monday through Friday, we give a, like a, a scripture, a scripture or two, and then questions that will help a family discussion at scripture study time. Instead of like maybe reading a chapter together as a family, you just read a verse or two. And then there's questions for littles and questions for middles and questions for teens and adults. And sometimes we'll put a song in there. That's where you'll find the song is in those daily sections. Okay. I mean, wait. Oh, you can't. No, no. Say. Okay. Say. Listen, the daily section, this is coming from me before I was on. Don't miss this. Like my entire year of teaching last year that I went to the dailies every single, I teach seminary. I went to the dailies every single week when I was preparing my lesson and it legit will plan your lesson for you. Like it is so nice. It is the best kept secret in the whole entire world. If you have to plan a lesson because they'll give you good questions to ask. Like they're already like built in. They're like, Oh, you need an object lesson here. Let me explain the object lesson. And I would use all the questions. Like I would do the kids ones. I was having my kids draw pictures in seminary. It's good. It's so good. I love that you said they. And it's, it's like, it's like, they give you these questions and it's like, just so you know, there's a person and it's, he's standing right next to you. 
Like it's this, it's the it's like a wizard. Or it's, like, it's so great they come up with it. So yeah, well, I love them. They're doing, I, they're doing a great job. Yeah. Anyways, just trying to help out in any way that we can. This one really, really helps out with teaching and I think family scripture study or personal yeah. study also. Oh yeah, it's, it's so good. Whatever age that it is. So yeah, you can find that on our website. Don't miss the study.com and then go to app and you can find out more information on it. I think it's one of the best values of things that we do. So it is. And then that's on there. Any quotes that we do on here are also on there. So that's what we mean. Or PDFs that we print up, like the spiritual gifts one that we talked about that was in the newsletter. That is, you find that in the app as well. So that's what we mean when we say that. Hopefully that covers all of the questions that, that we had about that. So go check that out if you want. Otherwise, let's jump in to this first section here, which is a line that uh, Paul, one of his best lines in this entire thing, the proof of your love in mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 8. Uh, what's happening here um, in 2 Corinthians, the second half of this is there is sort of a fundraiser going on, a Christian fundraiser for the Christians that live in Jerusalem. And a lot of scholars guess and and wonder what's actually happening. Was there a famine uh, were they just being persecuted a lot? Um, was the message, you know, Jesus and his early followers were all like a, a poor group of people. And so because they told maybe their families and their cousins, like the group is, I, for whatever reason, there's a financial need in Jerusalem. And Paul and some of the other disciples are going around and they are collecting money and provisions for the people in Jerusalem and he's going to take it to them. And so that's kind of the context of what he's talking about here is I, I, I'm, I'm, we're, we're trying to, you know, help them out is what he's doing. And he actually starts in chapter eight talking about another, remember he's writing to the Corinthian saints and he's going to tell them about the Macedonian saints. And he says this about them in verse two, where he's like, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Um, this is where other translations of the Bible come in really, really for real when you read, because you're just like, I'm not actually sure what just happened there. But what he says is in Macedonia, they had their own trial and their own affliction. And what happened is it made them happier. Happiness came out of that trial. They realized um where their happiness was rooted in. And he said it also resulted in them being really generous. And so he's talking to the Corinthian saints about that. And then he's going to kind of compliment the Corinthian saints for the same thing later on. But I love some of the words, if you click over, of the way he talks about people's generosity and a bunch of different um, word choices throughout here. This is one of them, an abundance of their joy. The gift that they gave when they gave their money, he called, he didn't call it money. He called it an abundance of their joy. He called it like an overflow of happiness is essentially what he was saying. He was like, they were so happy that they just felt compelled to give and help somebody else out. And I, I feel like that is true of, of me where I'm just like, Oh, when I feel like I'm in this really happy, good place. I am more generous like that. That for sure is, is a thing. The riches of their liberality. It was like, they were just liberal in the way that they gave. And he says, and, and verses to come are just like, I, they, I, they, they shouldn't have given that much. They didn't have enough to give that much, but they just, they couldn't help it. And they just, they gave later on. He calls it this in verse four, where he calls it 
they said, we want to take upon us the fellowship of the ministering. This idea of just like, I, 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 where they saw each other as a fellowship. They saw each other as one family. They saw each other as we take care of each other. That's just what we do. And instead of calling it their, you know, their, their gift, their contribution, they were just like, it's actually just part of being in a family together. And it's so cute that they were like, oh, actually, I want to be connected to you. And that's what I want to be known for. Like, I want this to be what I'm known for is my connection to you. Right. This is it. This is what I'm working for. This is what I'm excited about. I just want to be connected. Yeah. I was reading from this um, preacher earlier this week and he was, his sermon was kind of talking about this idea of, it started off talking about how many, how do you know if you have too many kids? (laughs) And he just said, well, um, if you, the, the standard would be, I guess, if you can't take care of them, then you have too many, right? If you can't take care of them financially, you probably have too many. If you can't take care of them emotionally, you probably have too many. And that would be different for every single person's circumstances. And then so he said, one day I was in prayer and I said to God, you have too many kids. <laughs> and he said, my reason for that is um, because I look around the world and I see people hungry and I see people in need. And I see people emotionally and physically and spiritually without. So obviously you have too many kids because they're not being taken care of. And then he said, um, he said, and so I said to God, my prayers, we get a little frank sometimes. You have too many. It's obvious you can't take care of them. And God said, you know, my plan. And he said, what plan is that? And he says, the way it works is the ones who are able take care of the ones that are not. And the older ones take care of the younger ones. And the well ones, they take care of the sick ones. That's the way it works. And everyone is cared for. And that is the idea of that fellowship. Or just like, wait, I'm not on this earth by myself. I'm here as part of the family of God. And we take care of each other. That is what we do. In verse 8, he calls it the sincere, prove the sincerity of your love. Um, I feel like I skipped one. Oh, verse five. Cause I was like, wait, I marked this in here and I didn't see it. And he says, we gave ourselves to the Lord and their gift to other people. They considered it on the same level as if they'd given a gift to the Lord himself. And I think that is such a neat way to talk about a gift. It was like, it, it wasn't a, you know, it was a gift to them, but at the same time, it was a, a gift to the Lord to see it in that context. It takes you to King Benjamin where, and it takes you to Matthew 25, where he says, you know, the way you treated other people, I actually took it personally. When you were kind, when you clothed the naked, when you fed the hungry. I remember the person would ask, when did we ever see you? I never saw you. And he was like, oh, you did. Because I took it personally, the way you treated other people. And and then that line, the sincerity of your love in, in verse eight. If you're listening on the podcast, we just have a list. I just kind of went through and marked like, oh, I'd love the synonym phrases that he uses for generosity, for a gift, for a contribution. The way he teaches it, I think is is really sweet. And then he calls it grace in verse nine. And I think this is a really powerful connection, the the two of them, that how connected generosity and gratitude and grace are with each other. And we talked a lot of, Paul talks a lot about that grace, that gift, that unearned gift of grace. 
And that's what, and that's what, a, that's what it is, right? If they gather money for the, for the saints in Jerusalem, you know, the saints in Jerusalem would say, what do we do to earn this? What do we do to deserve this? You know? And it's like nothing. And it's like, well, let's pay you back. And it's like, actually, you don't, you don't pay back a gift, right? It's, it's a grace. And he gives kind of like the, almost like the theological reason, the root for giving in verse nine, he says, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich yet for your sakes, he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich, that he was in a mansion and in a throne on high. And he gave it all up to come down to this world, to rescue, to give a gift that we could never earn on our own. And the response to that, right, is our generosity. Our, our, our gratitude for the gift that we've been given just fuels that generosity to give another gift of grace, an unearned gift to somebody else without any thought of, of repayment, just for love's sake. And there's something so powerful in the idea that he can't speak about one without the other. Right. That when he speaks about generosity, he automatically has to include grace. Yeah. He's like, you need to understand both of these. Right. And there, I, when you were talking, I remembered it had to have been like a year ago, maybe two years ago. And we went, I don't even remember who was with us, but we went to go get shakes, peach shakes. And when we were oh, there, yeah, I like yeah. showed up and I was like right in front of David. And David said, Oh, I'll pay, I'll pay for yours. Like, don't worry about it. I'll get yours. And I was like, No, David, like, I'm fine. Like, I, like, I could pay for my own. Like, I'm okay. And you're like, No, no, no. Like, I got it. And I like went to like say, Like, no, like, I, like, uh, I could just pay for mine. And you were like, No, this is a lesson on grace. And I remember sitting there and I was like, Lesson on grace. I was like, What are you even talking about? First of all. And then like the longer I thought about it, all of a sudden I started to realize that I started to understand, Oh, he just wants to give me this yeah. and I just can accept it. That's my role right now is to just accept that. And there's something so powerful in the idea that generosity can actually help you understand Jesus on a completely different level, not only just because of the giving, but also because of the lesson on grace. Yeah. That moment taught me something about Jesus that I didn't realize before mm. that my first instinct is actually to refuse Right. When Jesus is begging me to just take it. Yeah. You know, right. and it was something silly, like a shake. Right. But it makes me think that like, oh, these people didn't just need a lesson on generosity. They needed a lesson on grace. Yeah. And a lesson on Jesus. Yeah. Right. They got to know him better mm -hmm. because of this. Right. And the like the, how it's so reciprocal. If, if we jump over to chapter nine for just a second, I don't know if you were going to, you know, go here. He says, I know the forwardness of your mind for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal hath provoked very many. And he just says, actually, your generosity is what inspired and provoked Macedonia and Achaia. Those are other provinces, their generosity. They heard about yours and then they wanted to be more generous. And isn't that the case? Like you see something pop up on Instagram or, or, or whatever, or you hear a story of somebody doing something wildly generous and you're just like, wait, I actually would like to be more generous. And there's something really neat about that. I read this study one time um, about people posting on social media, some of the, the generous things that they do. And I know the Lord says, like, don't let the right hand know what your left hand does. Like something should be done in secret. I believe that principle. 
Um, but I also believe that it's good to, for other people to know of, of generous things happening because it actually inspires them to want to be generous also. I, I mean, you have to balance both of those principles, you know, together. But Paul talks about, I love, he says that I can boast about you to them, a so boast cute. about your generosity. I, I guess that's probably the best model for this is if other people could boast about others' generosity, that would be the best. So you would, so you don't have to feel shame to like, well, this is what I did, you yeah. know, or whatever. But, you know, there, it's actually helped me want to post like some of the things I am involved in. I think to myself, like, oh, some of them I, I think have to be secret. I think that's part of a relationship with God is there some things that are done in secret. But man, if you could do things for, for the benefit of inspiring others, um, that's great. But Paul says, I love to actually boast about you. If you go back to second Corinthians, um, chapter eight, he says, wherefore show you, wherefore show you to them and before the churches, the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf that Paul says, I actually know that when I get there, you are going to have money gathered and ready to go. I know that about you. And I've actually already told them in Jerusalem, don't worry. The Corinthian saints are going to, they're going to have it ready. Um, it made me think about this one time. And when I was a bishop, we served, we were, it was Christmas time. And at Christmas time, we kind of took on or adopted this organization that we were going to help out with them uh, financially for a bunch of kids Christmases. And we had done it for a couple of years in a row. And I remember our, you know, Relief Society president going to the organization to meet with their meeting and they came out and kind of a little sheepishly said, oh, we have extra needs this year. There's some extra kids. And they kind of like, well, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. And somebody else in the meeting piped up and they said, uh, they piped up and they said, oh, whatever needs you have, this neighborhood can take care of it. And she came back and, and said that to us in ward council. And I, my heart just surged knowing that I didn't have to ask a single person in my ward and neighborhood if we could cover the needs. Our really study president could go into that meeting and say, I don't care if you have a thousand kids in need, the Spring Creek ward can take care of them. Whatever it is that you need, I know that they, they are going to be taken care of. And, and just that idea of, of boasting of, of the goodness of people, not in a bragging way, but just to be able to be confident and know whatever the needs are, they're going to be able to take care of it because that's how generous and, and good they are. I just, I think there's something really sweet about that. And it's, it really is so cool that it really is. Paul knew that his people were going to take care of them. Yeah. There wasn't a doubt in his mind. He starts out the beginning of chapter nine. And that is like what the entire first like eight verses are about is, oh, no, I know you guys are ready. You are stoked about it. You have this zeal about you that you like heard what I'm asking you to do. I asked you to help. I asked you to get involved. You heard you're in. You're loving it. You're so excited. And he didn't have a single doubt that they were actually going to be ready to do it. He knew. Like that word. He yeah. said, oh yeah, I actually know you're going to step up to the plate. Yeah. I got it. You've already told me. And he goes through and he's like, you know what? I am going to send some people to you. 
They're going to come before me. They're going to go make sure everything's taken care of. And it's so cool to me in chapter nine. It's verse um, five. He says, I'm going to send them to make sure that you have everything ready, kind of to take care of things. I know you're already ready, but um, just to check on things. And it's so cute at the bottom of verse five, because he says, as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. And it makes me go back to grace and think, oh, these people actually wanted to help. They were ready to help, not because they were afraid of the person asking them, but because they had experienced grace. Mm. They said, oh, I actually can do this. Yeah. I actually want to do this. I want to be ready to help. Not because I'm scared of not helping, not because I'm scared of the boss or the person in charge or the brethren that are going to come and make sure we're ready. I'm not afraid of them. I'm ready because in my heart, I want to help. Yeah. And in verse nine, it's in chapter nine, Paul goes through and he's, it's almost like he wants to clarify, do this from your heart. That means that it's going to look different for every single person. Mm -hmm. He says that he goes through and he says, listen, in verse six, if you don't have a lot, don't worry. You're just going to give what you have. If you do have a lot, give more, whatever is going to work for you. That's what you want to give. That's what I need from you right now. That's what I'm asking. I'm not asking for you to look at your neighbor and copy exactly what they're giving because it's going to cause you to go into debt. Actually, I just want you to give what you have. Yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. Whatever that's going to look like. Um, I remember when I moved into my first college apartment, it was like right when I turned 18. And my mom was out of town for when I moved in. And so I just packed up all my stuff and I went and I drove. And when I unpacked one of my suitcases, my mom had written me a letter um, for like to, she wasn't there to move in. So she kind of just like it was a letter of listed like her list of advice for me mm. when I like got to college. Awesome. And I know and I read it. I remember just crying so much. I was like, <laughs> oh, believe me. Um, and at the very end. I, this is, I'll be honest, this is the only one that I remember being on there, but it just said, always be ready to make Rice Krispie treats. And in the beginning, I was like, what in the world? I was like, why would I always be ready for that? And then because it was my mom and she wasn't there, I was like, I better actually do it. And I'll trust her. So I was like, okay. So no matter what, I always had stuff in my house to make Rice Krispie treats, just marshmallows, butter and Rice Krispies. And it was so interesting because that was the silliest thing to be ready for. But there were so many nights that I remember thinking, oh, I'm so thankful that I have something. For when my roommate was going through a terrible breakup, oh, I'm so happy that I have on hand these mm -hmm. Rice Krispie treats. Or when someone was having a bad day, oh, this is so easy, let me make something up really quick. I have stuff for Rice Krispie treats. And it was so small and so simple but my mom knew that was a way to be ready to love. Yeah. Just Rice Krispie treats. Yeah. It was easy. Just be ready for that. And I just love chapter nine because it's almost like Paul saying that. Just be ready with whatever you have. If that looks like Rice Krispie treats, let it be Rice Krispie treats. If that looks like more from this person because they're in a different stage of life, let it be more. Yeah. I just need you to be ready. Yeah. Whatever that looks like. Yeah. Which I, I read this um, story one time of a, a really well-known business couple in Utah and that when they were first married, they decided that they would put away a certain percentage of their money just set aside, just ready to give 
whatever it was. And when they were first married, it was obviously like really small. They just set a percentage, like 5%, whatever it was. And they just set it aside. And they're just, we have this money set aside right here that whoever needs it, we're just going to, we'll be ready. We'll be ready to give it to them. We've already saved it. We've already set it aside for that. And as they became more and more wealthy, they just continued that practice and they set that aside and they were just, and and then it gets, it got to a point where they're just like, someone's like, we need a hospital. And they're like, well, we have it, you know, or whatever. It was a a popsicle when they were first married or whatever. And now it was like, oh, but just that, that same idea from Rice Krispie treats to like a huge bank account sitting there ready. That's just, it's beautiful advice. And it's so interesting because if you go back one chapter, there's, I feel like there's this moment when you're sitting here and you're like, I want to be ready. I want to love like that. I want to care for people like that. I want God to know that I am ready to help whatever kids he needs me to help. Yeah. Whatever that looks like. I want to be one that he's like, Oh, I'm not worried about you. I know that if I ask you, you're on it. You're ready. Yeah. And then I feel like right after you have that like desire, like stoked about it, there's this next thing that's like, oh, well, what do I have? What can I offer? And it's, there's the cutest verse in chapter, in chapter eight, it's verse 16. And it just says, but thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. And it's this idea that maybe it actually all came from him. Mm. He knows what you have to be ready. And it says it again. It's this idea that he doesn't want you to let go of because in chapter nine, he's going to go through. And in verse eight and nine, he expounds on that. And he just wants you to say like, God is actually able. He's the one. He's going to get you ready. You don't have to do that by yourself. You don't have to figure this out on your own because God knows what you have. Yeah. He's going to give it to you. And it actually can look different from every single person. And it's actually supposed to, right? That some people are going to be called to do very different things, right? There's going to be HHP trips. There's going to be texts that you send. That that is your capacity. That's how you're ready. I can send that text. I can cheer someone up. Yeah. Right? Or maybe I'm my job. I am going to, I'm great at math. Let me be the math tutor. Yeah. I'm ready for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it kind of goes back to the spiritual gifts that we talked about yeah. earlier, you know, a couple of lessons ago where you just say, yeah, wh- whatever it is, like God's going to use that gift that you have or that talent or your circumstances. And the key is I, I'm ready. I have a ready, yeah. willing heart to do it. I, I love that verse that you just read. Where was it again? The earnest, the earnest in you? Six, eight, sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, that he put that earnest care inside Titus for you. And I actually think that God put an earnest care into all of us. I learned this really well from a friend of mine who I think exemplifies chapter eight and nine better than any person I know, Kristen Anders, a friend of ours that I just think she just like, do you want me to tell you her verse? It's this one. Where is it? Eight, seven, where he just said this, um, Therefore, as you abound in things of faith and utterance and knowledge and diligence, see that you abound in grace also. Like, go big. Like, love people really big in the capacity that you have. And she's really good at that. And one time she, I was having a conversation with her and it was like, man, I want to actually help with the fresh water in the world. I want to help with like getting rid of malaria and I want to help with refugees and I want to help with all of the things. And she just said, I know, but there's something in you already that you're going to like be drawn to something. An earnest has been put in you. And and she was just like, lean into that. 
lean into that love, that interest. I think she was like, it's a God given. There's a reason that you're really drawn and you have an, an extra measure of compassion for that particular place or idea or project or whatever, whatever word you want to put there for it. And I feel like that is such a big lesson on God that he knows you that deeply. He mm. says, oh, I know where you can help. And I'm going to put you in a place to help there. Yeah. I'll give you opportunities. I was on my mission. And don't worry about the beginning of this story. I'm just going to tell you the middle. And you're just going to have to catch up. And I was walking across this overpass with this homeless man. <laughs> and it's going to be fine, everyone. Don't worry about the first half. But I was. And it was great. And we were helping him with all his stuff. And... I don't know if any of you have ever walked over an overpass, and this is going to tell you a lot about my stamina here, but it's kind of hard. It is like, it is, it was a steep overpass, and he was like getting tired, and I was getting tired, and we had all this stuff, and he was like, we were halfway up the overpass, and there was another homeless person just right there on the side of the overpass, and he saw them, and they were friends, and he was so excited to see them. He was like, oh, hey, and then we were meeting them, and then everyone was meeting each other, and we were so excited, and he was so excited, and then he was like, why are you stopping? And they were like, oh, I can't make it up because these are my last pair of pants, and they were like probably 15 sizes too big. Like, Mm -hmm. they were huge, and he just didn't even say a word. He just took the belt off of his pants and just handed it right over. And that was the end of the conversation. Then we just kept walking and they went the other way and that was it. And all I can think is, oh, his heart was ready. Yeah. And he didn't have a lot, mm-hmm. but he had exactly what that person needed. Yeah. And God is smart enough to know what you have and what someone else needs. Yeah. And he'll say, oh, I actually know I can send you and you're going to be ready. And you might only have a belt, but that's actually the only thing that they need. Right. He knows you. Yeah. He knows what you have inside of you. He knows what you're called to. Yeah. Right. He's going to plan for that. That's so awesome. Um, And it, as you were talking about that and even, even saying this, these next verses in chapter 10, uh, I go right along with it. I think where he is talking about, if you start in verse seven of chapter 10, he says, do you look on things after the outward appearance? And he's not talking about a comparison in giving necessarily, but I think coming off of that, some might come off that discussion and, you know, it might be natural to compare like, Oh, well, I can give versus what somebody else could give. I wish I had the money. I wish I had the time, you know, to give in other of, of these places. I can just, see myself like thinking those kind of things. And we're just prone to comparison all the time. Right. And we're, we're prone to in, in any sphere, any topic that we're talking about, we're just prone to comparison. I think we live in a world that's like pouring gasoline on that natural human inclination to compare. It just, yeah. we just do. And we have to be aware of that, of people living in this time and age. But he says, do you look on things after the outward appearance? And he just says, this skips down and he uses this phrase, where he just says, we, verse 12, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. He's, we dare not compare ourselves with other people in any category. And in this one, I think he's kind of comparing to like what my capacity is or what my abilities are or where I'm at spiritually, right? Um, we, have, we sometimes will make that kind of comparison. We look at somebody's outward appearance 
which is faulty in and of itself and make a, make a comparison where it's just like, well, I'm not as good as they are. I'm not as spiritual as they are. I'm not as capable as they are. I'm not as, you know, I'm not as loved. I'm not as understood as that person is. And I love that he just says this in verse 13, we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule, which God hath distributed to us. That again, if we go back to like the giving scenario, he's just like, God just says the measure is readiness and willingness. That is the measure. That's the measure that God has set. God has set in spirituality the measure of um, every day a little better, of progression. Are you trying? Am I trying to be like Jesus? He's like, we, I don't compare with any other measure except for the one that God has given. And the measure that God has given is, are you trying? And then it ends with this line where it just says, a measure to reach even unto you. And that verse is written for the whole world to read in a million different languages, but it's written for each one of us individually, that God has a measure to reach even unto you. And his measure for us is a, is a measure of mercy. It's a measure of grace. It's a measure of patience that whatever it is, that we're talking about, that God has a measure to reach us in our circumstances. He understands where we're at spiritually. He understands our pasts. He understands our emotional and mental makeup. He understands our family relationships. He understands our stresses. He understands all of those things. And he has a measure to reach even us, even me, wherever it is that I am. There is grace and patience there is a chance for improvement. There is a chance to be involved. There is a chance to abound in whatever condition my life may be in right now. And I think that is it's a, it's a beautiful verse. It's that idea of grace of Jesus meeting people in the spot that they currently are, understanding them and then encouraging them that they, they can increase, they can progress from that spot. And I love that he wanted to use the word measure, mostly because other people might measure more frequently than me. But the only time I measure is when I need something that's like exact, that I'm like, oh, I actually need this to be a perfect little fit. I need this to be unique to this exact situation, yeah. right? I mm -hmm. like can't do something generic. It has to actually work in this moment. And I can't help but love the idea of God saying, oh, let me measure exactly what you need right now. Mm. It can't be the same for every single person. Yeah. Because you're living in a different circumstance. Right. Today, I'm going to measure the perfect amount of grace for you. Right. I'm going to measure the perfect amount of love for you. Yeah. And that's going to look different for every single person. It's honestly going to look different for every single day. I was just about to say, yeah, for right? this season of my life versus another season of my life and seasons can yeah. change daily with people and their hearts and circumstances. And and it's almost like sometimes we want to look at that and be angry at God and say, you're measuring less than you were last year. Yeah. You're measuring less than you were at this point. When in reality, maybe it is proof of an intimate type of love that he wants to say, oh, actually... I am so deeply connected to your life right now that I know exactly how much it's measured out. Yeah. 
the perfect amount. Yep. For right now. Right. God's not a cookie cutter. He doesn't do, he does custom homes, right? Yeah. yeah. He, he's, he ain't Ikea. No. Okay. He's custom cabinets, <laughs> it's <not> right? <laughs> it's not cheap. <laughs> it's not a one size fits all. God is not a one size fits all God, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that's so encouraging. He'll measure just for you. Right. Um, okay. Um, one of my favorite things in scripture, this is a weird niche thing to love. This sound, that sounded so much like my mom right then when I was just going to have another favorite in this span of 10 minutes. Um, is the unnamed people in stories. Mm. There's something about it that my heart just attaches to so deeply, which is interesting. We should maybe think about that another time. But I do think there's something about the idea that I think inherently we sometimes all feel like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the looked over. The one that name actually got forgotten. The one that is just so-and-so. Um, and Paul's going to mention someone that seems unnamed. Well, he is unnamed. We don't know his name at all. But is known in the most tender, beautiful way ever. And it's in chapter 12. And he just says in verse 2, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. And then he's going to go through and he's going to talk about him a little bit. But what if you just look at that first sentence for just one second? I knew a man in Christ. It wasn't his name. It wasn't what he did. He just said, oh, wait, I actually knew this guy. And this is how I knew him. I knew him because of Jesus. And there's so many. I just for some reason had this memory. And now I just have to say it because why did I just think of this? When I was just graduated high school, I went on my senior trip to Lake Powell, and for some reason, I thought it was a great idea to belly flop off of the houseboat into Lake Powell, and just so you know, it wasn't a good idea, and it hurt so bad, and I was so bruised, but the video was really good. Yeah. It was a great video. Yes. Uh-huh. And when we got back to service, all my friends were like, you need to post that on Twitter, like you need to put, and that tells you how old I am, that Twitter was like the go-to place yeah and I was like okay I'll do it I'll do it and I posted it and it didn't go viral by any means but it was like way bigger than I ever thought it was gonna be and it was like a lot of people I was like oh okay like that is not just my friends that is a lot of people seeing it and like three months after I was in a college class and I sat down and this boy sat next to me and he's like oh I think I know you And I was like, okay. I was like, where? And then we played this game of like, where are you from? Where are you from? You already know what's happening. I love where this is going. And we couldn't figure it out. And finally the class starts and halfway through, he like grabs me and he's like, I saw a video of you on Twitter. And I immediately (laughs) wanted to cry. I was like, no. He's like, the belly, belly flop, flop girl. girl. <laughs> You're the belly flop girl. I was like, he did not know my name, but he knew what I did. And I was like, that's the worst way to be known ever, the belly flop girl. But it makes me think like, I for real was known for something that I did. And this man, the one that we don't even know his name, to Paul, he was known for what he did, I bet. Mm-hmm. And what he did reminded him of Jesus. Yeah. He said, oh, I know someone. I know a man in Christ. He's actually known for what he does. And it must be pretty Christ-like to just have that line. Yeah. A man in Christ. Mm. And I was with my friend a couple years ago and we were driving. She worked. She kind of had a 
a job that was seemed very rewarding, but in the day to day was kind of draining. And she was working in a treatment center and spending all of her time there. She was working there full time and it was a heavy job for her. And we were talking one day, we were driving and she was like, I'm having the hardest time because I wish that I could give them what I like the knowledge that I have of Jesus, but because of her, the way her job works, she just couldn't mm. talk about him. Yeah. And she was so frustrated because she was like, that's how I have found relief. Like that was my help was him. And I can't help them find him because of the nature of the job. And she was crying and crying. And immediately the spirit just kind of told me like, Oh wait, actually what if they are getting to know him through her? Yeah. And I stopped and I was like, oh, actually, um, I think one day in a long time when they're in heaven for the first time and they see him, I actually think that he might feel familiar to them because they knew you. Yeah. And I think that your actions could be the reason that those people know Jesus. Mm. And they might not realize right now, and there might be a disconnect for a minute, but what if you actually are just living the type of life that your name and Jesus's name become connected, mm. that you can't think of one without the other? Because that's what it seems like to me for Paul when he talks about this man, is he cannot think about that man and also not think about Jesus. Yeah. They match to him. Mm. They're connected. Yeah. And a lot of people think that he actually might be talking about himself. And it's fun that he's talking about 14 years ago and to like kind of look back on his life mm. and to see like, oh, this is how I came to know him. These are the experiences, you know, that that we had together. And and he lists through that and he talks about all of those. And, and in the beginning, if it's him, right, he's like, there, I've had visions. I've had glorious uh, experiences. I've been up to the third heaven in verse two, wherever that is. No one even knows, <laughs> right? I've been there before. Um, I've, I've been caught up into paradise and heard things that, you know, I've felt and things ever. And then, and then it's just like, well, also, do you know what also has been a part of that journey? Another thing that's been a part of that journey in verse seven is a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to like buffet me to, I, I have my things I've struggled with. And, and I'd asked God three times, in fact, verse eight, to take it away from me. And he didn't. And I, I've had that too. I've had my good, good experiences where I've gotten to know him and hear his words. And I've had those really tough experiences too. And I actually think he leans into the tough experiences probably because he came to know him better in the tough experiences than he did in the good ones. Or he says this in verse nine, when I asked him, Will you please take that away from me, this thorn in my flesh, whatever it is, if it's physical or spiritual or temptation or weakness or or whatever it is. I've heard Bible scholars talk the whole spectrum of what it is, and everyone has to guess. And he said this, the answer back from the Lord in verse 9 is, my grace is sufficient for you, My for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's actually your weakness that brings the strength. Most gladly, therefore, I, I will I rather glory in my infirmities. So Paul says, so when I have weakness and when I have temptation and when I have things that are too big for me, I actually am like, well, good, because through those, the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, whatever they are. But I actually want to look that one up in the message and see what it says, because I guarantee that's going to be so good. What is it? 1210? Yeah. Did I just read? Let's just read what it says, because... Uh, it says, at first, I didn't think of it as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did, and he told me, my grace is what you need. My strength comes in your weakness. I quit focusing on that weakness and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations and stride with good cheer. Those limitations, whether they're accident or opposition or bad breaks, I just let him take over. It's fun to think about what all those, whatever it is. And then that last line, for when I am weak, then am I strong. He says, that is, the, the moments of weakness are actually strength because they, my moments of weakness, I turn to, I need him. And that is where I get my, my strength. Which is where, oh, we forgot about this. Oh, we'll co- oh yeah. We'll do this. Oh, let's do that and back. then come back to that other one. Um, which is where the name comes from for this week is that verse. It's verse nine. Um, power. And I can't help but be obsessed with that when David was talking about it just because of the fact, oh wait, when I'm that desperate, when I'm that hurt, when I'm in the middle of all of those things, I actually need someone powerful. Mm. That's what I need. Someone bigger than me, someone stronger than me, someone that can come in with power. Yeah. Which is such a powerful thought that all of a sudden that's who he is. That's who he gets to be. And, and Paul says, and I love those moments because when things are going great, I actually don't think to ask for help because I'm doing it by myself, right? I don't need it. I and get to like, know him differently. Right. Which is interesting because, but you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is like, hey, blessed are the, the poor and blessed are the persecuted and blessed are the down and out and blessed are the, are the ones who have bad breaks every, and you're kind of like, why is that a blessing? That's not, that's actually a blessing. Blessing is like rich, taken care of 401k friends, <laughs> like all those things. And he's like, no, 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 no. Loneliness is the blessing because like in those moments, you have nowhere else to turn except to God. And in God, you will find strength and in God, you will find acceptance. And in God, you will find experience and relationship that you that you wouldn't have found had 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 life and circumstances not taken you to your knees. Mm. And so there that's a I love that you said in those moments I that's what I want is power. Yeah. That's who I need is power himself. And some of the Greek words that this comes from are a force, a divine power, a miracle, an influence, a capacity. I think that last one is so awesome, right? Is a gift of capacity. To be able to endure, to be able to handle, to be able to approach whatever it is, you know, that that's a gift of his power is a gift of capacity, which is cool because it's like, I, sometimes Paul's like, take this away. And Jesus answers back and says, how about I just give you the capacity to handle it? Mm. How about I give you the strength to carry it? Uh, The wisdom to understand it, you know, instead the, you know, the, the, you know, the whatever to to navigate this and that's what I'm going to give you. And, and in the end, I think we would see that as, as a beautiful, it's like, you have the power to take it away. And he's like, yeah, but what if I 
endow you with my power? Or in other words, what if I grace you with my presence? And in the end, you will have made it through it, but you and I will have made it through it together. And it's that time we spent together where that one um, Francis Webster in the, in the Martin Hancock company said, I became acquainted with God during the storms and during the uphills. And, and that was the greatest blessing of all through the, through the entire thing. Um, if you go back, we, this quote is one that I, I've shown you before because I, I dream of, I know it's so long. And again, you can get this in the PDF um, or you can look it up yourself. If you look up C.S. Lewis, the new men, um, this is what it says in there. And I, I, I love thinking of this, this idea of these people. He says the new men, Oh, I just lost it, everybody. And I can't read it off of there because the words are. <laughs> we can't even read it. It's like, oh, but if you, if it's like in your computer, you'll be able to read it. It's just hard on there. He says, already the new men and women, I'll add, are dotted here and there all over the earth. Some, as I have admitted, are still hardly recognizable, but others can be recognized. Every now and then one meets them. Their very voices and faces are different from ours, stronger, quieter, happier, more radiant. They begin where most of us leave off. They are, I say, recognizable, but you must know what to look for. They will not be very like the idea of religious people, which you have formed from your general reading. They don't draw attention to themselves. You tend to think that they're, that you are being kind to them when they are really being kind to you. They love you more than other men do, but they need you less. They usually seem to have a lot of time and you'll wonder where it comes from. When you've recognized one of them, you will recognize the next one much more easily. And I strongly and I strongly suspect, but how should I know, that they recognize one another immediately and infallibly across every barrier of color, sex, class, age, and even of creeds. In that way, to become holy is rather like joining a secret society. To put it at its very lowest, it must be great fun. And I would say if you were to have met one of these new men or women, or as Paul describes them, a man or woman in Christ, they would have a story of visions and glory and and, and um, impressions and hearing the voice of God. But they would also have a story of a thorn in the flesh and distresses and persecutions when they really came to know him and they experienced grace and power and, and it changed them. And they and they became acquainted with God and and now his image was in their countenance. And, and that's what kind of the very last um, section is, is about. It's a chance to ask this question that Paul asks in chapter 13, the very last chapter of Second Corinthians, where I'm sure as people have heard and read this letter, they've been inspired, you know, they're like, I, 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 I want to give my life in that way. When they talk about being ready, Perhaps they're thinking to themselves, I don't want to be ready with just money. I want to be ready with a heart that knows God, uh, uh, um, a heart that I want to be a man or woman in Christ. I want to make a difference I want to, in, in people's lives. I want to be his hope. Earlier in chapter eight, he says, when, when people, or maybe it was chapter nine, I'm so sorry, everybody. Like, I just know that it's in there. I'm telling you, you're just going to have to, but you're going to have to believe me. I found it. I told you. <laughs> Second Corinthians 9, 11, he says, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. He just says, sometimes when people meet us, they are thankful to God. And he's like, that's what I want to, I want to point people to him. 
I want to be big in the way that I love and live. And in this very last chapter in 13, um, Paul says, kind of gives this challenge. He says, examine yourselves in verse five, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Like, like take, look inside, right? And he says, know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you. Ask yourself that question. Is he in me? And the worksheet for this week is, um, if you have, are familiar with Preach My Gospel, it's sort of like, what chapter is that? Six, where it talks about the Christ-like attributes yeah, in Preach so. My Gospel. Still, maybe there's yeah. a new one, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, true. There's that um, quiz at the very end that kind of just gives you a chance to ask, like, how am I doing in hope? How am I doing? And am I a person of faith? Am I a person of love? Am I a person, you know, and, and this is sort of, we took the different sections of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, 10 through 13. I don't know why I felt like I had to list every single one in there. And yeah, not in order. Yeah. <laughs> but. Where you can just take these. This would be a great worksheet to just do on your own. But it also would, would be a really cool thing in a family or a class to give 10 minutes and a copy of this to everybody and just say, why don't you kind of go through some of these questions that Paul asks in second Corinthians? Am I, do I give of my abundance? Where, where am I at in that? Am I a fellow helper? Do I like, do I see all of us as that family of God, that fellowship? What's the proof of my love? Where has that been shown recently? Could someone convict me of being in a court of law? of being a person of, of love. Am I ready now, you know, to give that belt, of, you know, um, am I a cheerful giver? Like you were saying, like, we don't do it because like someone's looking out for us, but because of that grace that was, was given to us. You know, we were talking before, and I don't think we said it on here that in, in some Christian traditions and some Christian churches, when someone gives an offering, like a financial offering, like a tithing or what we call a fast offering, they actually give it on the sacrament table. And it's a way of connecting those two things together. Just like I am giving generously because of how generously God gave to me. Um, don't you don't start that in your in your church. <laughs> People start. But uh, the idea of that is, is so sweet. Um, do I look at things by the outward experience, outward or by God's measure? Do I look at myself outward or by God's measure? It'd be great. Am I in the faith? Am I progressing? Am I an encourager? Am I a unifier? Am I a man or woman um, in Christ? When someone meets Jesus in heaven someday, are they going to be so familiar with him because they knew us while, while they were here? And I think that's a, a, this would be awesome by yourself or together with a class to just think through that, you know, and remembering when you do that God's measure for wherever I am. It's different. Yeah. Right. And every day could be different. Right. And that's okay. I just, I feel like all of these chapters just encourage me so deeply to want to be connected that closely with Jesus. Mm -hmm. That when people know me, that's what they know me for. It's yeah. him and not belly flops, but Jesus <laughs> instead. And I think there's something so powerful in thinking that, you know what? I'll take the thorns 
and I'll take the hard moments and I'll take the difficult ones and I'll take the good ones and the ones that I'm getting revelation and the ones that I feel his love abounding around me. And I'll take the moments when I don't have a lot and I'll still give. And I'll take the moments when I have a little bit more to give a little bit more generously. I will take all of that because it seems like that is a life that is a thrill to live. Yeah. If it looks like this and if it sounds like this, then how could I not want to sign up for it? If it's a life with him, I'm in. Yeah. I'm sold. Yeah. I'm convinced. Yeah. So I think that's awesome. And imagine it together as a whole community. We took 2 Corinthians 8, 11. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. There was a readiness to will. There's a willing heart, pricked and inspired. And he says, now perform the doing of it. And when you do it, in verse 7, do it big. Right? See that you abound in, in all of this and all of this goodness. And wow, what an impact that um, that we could have. So, all right, we'll see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.